Well, I suggested that I was going to speak about the uh, difference of perspective, and I intend to get there. But uh, this is far more emotional than uh, most of my podcasts. So, I arrived at the distribution point, and there was a semi waiting there. Had a wonderful talk with the driver, a young man who is working hard and um, has, a, has a good job and raising some cattle on the side. So, that was an enjoyable part of the morning. Then, we start taking uh, pallets off this truck and dividing them up to go to different destinations where, in theory, each family gets a box of food. A box consisting of, I don't even know what, I think there's some fruit in there and some cheese and uh, hot dogs, I, I don't know what all. Lots of it. You know, this is the fourth of five trucks that are coming. And I cannot escape a feeling. Um, I guess I'm a historically grounded enough to be pretty cynical, but this is a lot like the Roman dictum that bread and circuses. And what you what you have to do to to pacify a population who might begin to have reasons not to trust their leadership is to make sure that they never get too hungry and that they always have something entertaining. And to see a whole bunch of well-meaning people line up to help pass that out um, is, is concerning to me. Uh, so I'm sharing it here. Um, I'm not going to criticize any of the people who said, yes, I'll come. I'd be glad to help. We get food on the table of people who might be hungry. But I am, as I said, I am, I am not sure that we aren't hiding symptoms. Um, saw a lot of people I knew, so not a few new people. It's, it was good, and there was a sense of excitement that we're all getting together to do something. Um, but I am not entirely sure I know what we're doing. And I'm not sure that others are that aware of what we are actually doing. And so I loaded up 27 boxes of food and milk, jugs of milk to go with them, and I am following a van load of just as much stuff over to give them to somebody who will then pass them out. The destination is somebody who is very much uh, 
approaches the world from a Christian perspective, and so she will pass them out with a, a blessing in the name of Christ, so to speak. I don't know exactly, and I, again, am puzzled. King David said, it is no gift which costs me nothing. And I wonder how easy it is to pretend that we're the giver. But I think one thing became clear to me of, of what kind of gifts do I accept. I live on the generosity of people. But that generosity is person to person. I know who gives to me. Or on the occasions when I have an anonymous gift, I do not know who gives to me. But I know that the person who gave to me gave freely. They looked me in the eye and said, I want to invest in what Jeremy is doing. It was not a policy. Now that may seem to you to be an odd distinction. And it's a particularly odd distinction in light of this particular gift of food. So the boxes of food that are being handed out we actually have one of these boxes. I didn't know what it was. But somebody who I knew, who we have helped, an older couple, had received boxes at the end of the day. And somebody who didn't want to wait longer had said, well, here, take a couple. So this couple had an extra box. And they said, well, we can't eat it all. It'll be here forever. And so they gave us the box. Okay, so I have no problem with the box or the food in the box. But I did not get my box from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. I got the box from my neighbor. It was theirs to do as they wished with, and they chose to give it to me. I think the principle that I'm realizing is that I am, I need to, as it were, look into the eyes of the giver before I can know what the gift is. And when that gift comes from an organization, that becomes much more difficult, if not impossible. I do receive a regular gift, one, from one organization, but I know a large portion of the people in that organization, and I also, and this matters to me, I know very well the one who signs the check. I offer that to you simply as a basis for knowing when a gift is appropriate and when it isn't. And it, and it segues into the difference of perspective that Jesus had on the poor. I, I think he had a very, a very odd, some of the oddest things he said are about 
this dealing with the poor. And they seem to be, in a sense, contradictory. And in some ways, they seem to be nonsensical. So, so let's deal with the first. Jesus says, when, when uh, an expensive ointment was poured on him, and Judas criticized that and said that was worth a lot of money. We could have taken that money and given it to the poor. Jesus says something. And there are a lot of ways he could have addressed that. He could have addressed Judas's heart attitude. Um, and even the writer of the gospel seems to indicate that. Because the writer adds a, a note that says, well, Judas kept the purse. He was the accountant for the group of 12 disciples. And was known to use the money as he saw fit. But that wasn't what Jesus said. The claim was made, this money could have been spent on the poor, and Jesus says, the poor you have with you always, and you may do good to them whenever you choose. That verse is, I think, a very clear statement of, no, not a clear statement, a very profound statement about what might be appropriate policy concerning the poor. Now, I will, in this case, we're going to talk about the poor, not the hungry. I am not sure that the categories overlap as much as we think. But when it comes to feeding the hungry, which, according to the Old Covenant, is a worthwhile activity, Isaiah 58 particularly, um, to feed the hungry, to loose the, the chains of the oppressed. Um, it seems to talk there about a sort of a corporate need to make sure that people are not in danger of life. And I could see that because um, when people are in danger of their life, bad things happen. Um, bad things happen when we ignore those profound needs too long. Um, is food the ultimate need? Um, probably. But when we come to the penultimate need, I think that we maybe are making a mistake. It may be that after food and drink, the next most important thing is meaning. And very often, meaning comes to people in the pursuit and the achievement of providing food. So, if the most meaningful thing, if the most, if the second most important thing in my life, let's just put food in food and covering, protection from the elements. Okay. If, if that is the most important, but the second most important is to have meaning in my life, where does meaning come from? Well, meaning comes from having food and having provided it. Getting food is not just getting food, but it is giving meaning. And when you step into adulthood and then into parenthood, 
I will say the absolutely the most meaningful thing is to provide food for your children. And that is precisely what is being taken away today at the hands of wonderful people. As we are saying to some men who might have said, you know what, it's my job to put something on the table. We said, don't worry, we'll do it. Your family would have survived without you. I mean, c consider what, what that would mean. The, the, the father who would say, you know what, I haven't been able to work, but I will go out into the woods and shoot something for my children to eat because I will not let them starve. He might be incredibly grateful when the neighbor shows up with this box. But he also might say, I guess they're fine without me. Apparently, I am optional to my family. So, I don't know about feeding the hungry, but Jesus talks about poor. Okay, so, so whether those two are divided or not is, is yours to consider or ours to consider at a later date. But what Jesus says about the poor is the poor you have with you always, and you may do good to them whenever you wish or whenever you choose. And that is just so fascinating. So let's go to the first side. The first side of his statement is the poor you will have with you always. Well, that's pretty depressing. But it isn't. The poor is a relative statement. And the Bible seems to have references to something else called the destitute. The poor seems to be a comparative description. Now, the comparative description is only valuable in the across the domain in which it is compared. The poor means uh, something different in Honduras than it does in Minnesota. And so, you will always have the poor among you is a statement of the fact that, that we are on a, 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 on a scale. There's a, a hierarchy. And someone will always be at the bottom. The issue may not be trying to get equality so that there are no poor among you. The issue may be that the poor, those who have less, would have enough. So that the bottom end of the spectrum isn't to be destitute. To be poor isn't a problem if your children aren't dying from lack of food or from someplace to, to live. You could say, yes, I'm, being poor is not relevant to me. And the poor I know, I would say I know far more people who are poor and content, who have said, I do not want to pursue, I don't want to trade the hours of my life for the things that the world says or the society or the media says is important. 
So I am willing to have less. I, I am in that category. Perhaps for a different reason. Um, because of, of my faith. But I look at the people who are classified as poor and have signed up for the programs for the poor and I, I think there are very few of them that have less money per year than my family uses. Now, the destitute, I would say, are a different class. They are... They have fallen off. I, I have a... Uh, in socialism, so you can look back to the podcast. I talk about when someone hits zero, where they can't even play the game. They can't even... They, they don't have enough to try. Um, and I do think that that happens. And so someone coming out of prison, I would say, is, is destitute. Okay, They lost everything because of bad choice they made. And so the structures which they had on which to build are gone. They're, they're, they're vacated for them. And, and so are the poor destitute. Let's not look at that. What I am saying is that the class of people to whom these boxes of food are by and large going all use, all are have through some source more dollars per year than my family and a number of families I know. So, so the idea that the poor you have with you always is some indictment of a society is, is incorrect. What I'm saying is there always are going to be, unless you have a completely equal society, and you try to enforce that upon people, which is the attempt of socialism, right, is to have equality of outcome. Okay, so... Apart from that, you are always going to have people who are on the spectrum of poor and others who are on the spectrum at a point of riches. And so Jesus says, look at the poor, you are, you're always going to have this differential. You cannot escape it. So then he tells us the other, and you can do good to them whenever you wish. And this is even more fascinating. So he, so, so he says, look it, you are not going to, no matter how much you struggle for it, I am telling you, you will not achieve a classless society. The, the, the socialist, um, well, the socialist goal of an equal society will never happen. I don't know that that's the goal of a socialist society. I think correctly the goal of a socialist, correctly stated, the goal of the socialist society is what happened in the Soviet Union. That we would have an equal society under my rule. So the Soviets had the Vlasti. Animal Farm had the pigs. All animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Okay, so, but, but we'll give socialists some the benefit of the doubt today and say they truly want an equal society and Jesus is saying you won't have that. There will always be a spectrum and if there is a spectrum there will always be people on the lower end of that spectrum. So that's his first statement. 
but it's coupled with this statement that you may do good to them whenever you wish. So his, his statement is, do not try to fix it. You won't fix it. You can't fix it. And, and I, I would suggest that there's a, a sense that, that trying to fix it is going to do more damage. You can arbitrarily lift someone out of their position of poorness. Okay, so we have 10 people, they're ranked, and we'll say the last two we call poor. So we give the last two enough so that they're no longer the last two. Oh, 9 and 10 are no longer 9 and 10. 7 and 8 are 9 and 10. I mean, we didn't change anything. And what bothers people very often is not the amount you have, but your contentment with that amount. So the, so the Ten Commandments include this, this bizarre law of thou shalt not covet. Well, covet, covetousness is, is not greed. It's not wanting more. It is wanting what you have and being dissatisfied with what I have because you have something better. It's comparative. So, so I think that there's something in human nature, and I, 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 this would bear examining more deeply. There's something in, in human nature that, that causes us to, to consider um, what other people have. And what other people have is sort of closely related to our satisfaction level. Now, I don't think that ought to be, but it is the way it is. So the poor you have all with you always. You're not going to make an equal society, and it isn't your. It isn't profitable for you to try to fix it. But what you do have is an ability to personally impact the the poverty. You may do good to them whenever you wish. Well. What is he saying? Well, he's saying that helping the poor is on your list of things to do with your money. And when you do things with your money, you pay for something you want to have more of. Okay, so we, gro we go grocery shopping, right? We, we give our money to get something we want more of. And in that process, there, there's this intricate dance of supply and demand and, and I say, I want bananas. Okay, but I go to the store and bananas happen to, a lot of people want bananas, so the price has gone up. But I find out that pineapples are really cheap, which they are right now, but that's not the point. But, so I decide, you know what, I, even though I'd like bananas more, pineapples would be worth it. I would rather have more pineapples and, than less bananas. And so I make a choice. I buy what I wish. I do what I wish with my money. So, the statement Jesus makes is, you may do good to them whenever you wish. But why would I wish to help the poor? Well, there, there may be some positive reasons why I would wish to help the poor. 
not why I would wish to fix the problem of poverty, but why I would wish to help the poor. What would those reasons be? Well, they would be because I want more of something. I, I would want to, I, I, I would have the freedom to spend my money to change the equation. But what might I, I want more of? Well, one of the things that I might want more of amounts to luck or providence, right? Wanting to help the poor may be my way of acknowledging that even though a lot of what I have comes from my hard work and wise choices, a certain amount of what I have comes to me through no merit of my own. I was fortunate to be born into the family where I was, in the country where I was. Much of my comfort, much of my riches can not be totally accounted for by my actions. And I think one of the things people buy is with their money when they want to help the poor is they, they purchase for themselves a an equalization. I was blessed. And so as an action, as a response to that blessing, I choose to bless others. It, it, it amounts to one of the reasons why we might wish to do good to the poor amounts to something that is often referred to, but I think incorrectly, as sort of a, a karma. You know, that, that the good you do, what comes around goes around. If you're a, a greedy jerk, then people will treat you that way. But if you can realize that you're grateful, then... And I think that's a very strong reason. And the reason I bring that one up is that, that I want to talk further about it. So, so on the side of the rich, there is a sense of, you know, I need to equalize. That may be a positive thing, a gratitude. It would sort of say, I'm going to make some steps to equalize because I am grateful. Or because I know that I was fortunate. Or maybe you do good to the poor because you know that some very bad things can happen if you ignore that. You've read stories about the Russian Revolution and the French Revolution and on down the list of places where the rich have waited too long to do something to the poor. And at some point the poor had nothing to lose and took it in their own hands equalized things. So so there may be positive, there may be negative reasons, but I think what Jesus is saying is that those reasons why you help the poor, why you choose to try to bring some, some equalization, some balance. Now, you could do it another way, alright, and this would, I think, always be the preferable way. You could choose to buy the product that the poor man has for sale and to, to take maybe uh, a pay a little bit more or buy something that's not quite what you want but to buy it from somebody who is struggling okay 
that would be a, an economic decision. But to give to the poor is, by and large, some sort of equalizing pressure that you feel, a desire to equalize, to bring some sort of balance. And Jesus says, yeah. But don't doing don't do it thinking that you are going to mandate an equalization. The poor, you, you are always going to have the poor. But you and you but don't try to fix it. But you may try to affect it. You may try to personally bring a balance. Okay, that's the perspective that I think belongs to the rich. When I resume, I want to talk about the perspective that belongs to the poor. Because I think it's even more obscure, but but very fascinating. So, I'll bring this to a close, and uh, we'll start again after I have delivered my...